Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 65, Death of the Inca. Hello and welcome everyone once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. Given the subject of our last episode, I have no announcements or pitches to make. Let's get to it. In our last narrative episode, we introduced Francisco de Toledo as Viceroy of Peru. Being a rigid and unwavering man, he demanded and brought drastic change to the Andes. He forcibly had native groups assimilate into villages in order to better control the population, while also expanding the mining operations of the colony. While these changes would have a dramatic effect on the Andes for decades to come, we are more interested in Toledo's relationship with the Inca. Toledo did whatever he could to undermine Inca legitimacy and pierce the armor of apparent Vilcabamba impenetrability. The smear campaign he launched didn't catch on, so the viceroy looked for whatever excuse he could to invade the final stronghold of the Inca. Meanwhile, Titu Kuziupanqui, the skilled diplomat the Inca had long needed, died from an apparent illness. His close advisor, Martin Pando, was killed in the immediate aftermath along with the missionary, Diego Ortiz. Instead of picking up there, we will step outside of Vilcabamba as an important treaty arrives in Peru. Enjoy. News traveled slow in those days, not like it does now. A message across the Atlantic could take months to reach its destination, but an important thing like a treaty, which needed to be scrutinized over again and again, took even longer, for it had to make the return journey as well. Such was the case for the Treaty of Acobamba. The all-important treaty, which took years to negotiate, and essentially made Vilcabamba a vassal state controlled by the Inca, was finally ratified by King Philip II on January 2nd, 1569. It wasn't until June 20th, 1571, that the treaty arrived back in Lima and was ready to be sent to Titu Kuzi Yupanqui. Prior Gabriel de Oviedo was asked by Francisco de Toledo to deliver the documents to the Inca and left him to carry out the task. But instead of going himself, Oviedo sent two sinchis to make the journey. But they never returned. Oviedo sent two more sinchis toward the jungle, but only one returned and suffered injuries to his legs and torso. 
Of course, news of these failed attempts into Vilcabamba made the rounds within the colony. In January 1572, Prior Juan de Vivero, who had baptized Titu and his son, made the comment that the Sapa Inca had clearly soured on the deal. In reality, nobody outside of Vilcabamba appeared to know that Titu Cusiupanqui was actually dead. When the Spanish finally realized the Inca is deceased, when the Spanish finally realized the Inca is deceased, we are not entirely sure. But it is likely that it was not known for several months. So let's take a moment to talk about Titu's successor, Tupac Amaru. A son of Manco Inca, Tupac Amaru was the younger brother of Sari Tupac. He wasn't old enough to be raised up to Sapa Inca at the time of Sari's abandonment of Vilcabamba, allowing Titu Cusiupanqui to fill the void in leadership. Though, we should note, it may have been possible for Titu to have been elevated over Tupac Amaru based on merit, even if the latter had been old enough. Nevertheless, the Inca was still a young man when he came to power, likely in his 20s or early 30s. So, not knowing the situation in Valcobamba had drastically changed, Adelano de Anaya volunteered to take the letter to the Inca. Anaya was no stranger to the area. He had been part of the embassy that had traveled there with Vivero to baptize Titu several years ago. As for the contents of the letter, we are told that it contained an apology for Tito Cusiupanqui from none other than Toledo himself. The viceroy lamented not making more of an effort to meet with the Sapa Inca earlier and promised to remedy that. However, the letter also demanded the Inca to come down out of the jungle and threatened force if he did not. Anaya and his escort traveled to the Chuquichaca Bridge and were met by a garrison of Inca soldiers. The envoy stated his business, but was asked to cross alone. Anaya obeyed and was instructed to wait in a nearby hut while a message was sent towards the town of Vilcabamba. But after night had fallen, the Inca captains entered the hut and killed the Spaniard before fleeing deeper into the territory. Now, prior to crossing the Chuquichaca Bridge, Anaya had instructed his traveling companion to seek him out as he sat upon a large rock which could be seen from across the river. This way, Anaya's companion would know that the ambassador was safe. When the fellow traveler did not see Anaya on the rock, he feared the worst. The man noticed that the garrison was gone and so cautiously crossed the bridge. His fears were confirmed as he found the lifeless body of Anaya in the hut. 
No doubt terrified that he would be next if he stuck around, the traveler, who was black, ran back to Cuzco. However, nobody believed the man's story, and many historians insinuate that it was the man's skin color which led many to call the man a liar. It was only when the curate of Amibamba confirmed that they had fetched the body of Anaya and buried it that the man's story was finally believed. Did Toledo mourn the death of Atalano de Anaya? Possibly. But it is quite possible that he celebrated, because he now felt he had the Casas Belli against the Inca. With an ambassador murdered at the hands of the Inca, Toledo tossed the Treaty of Acobamba out the window. The Viceroy began to make extensive plans for war, consulting those who had been to the territory. On April 14, 1572, Palm Sunday, Toledo made a formal declaration of war on Vilcabamba. As the invading army approached the Chuquichaca Bridge, the Inca garrison fled without severing the rope bridge, permitting the Spanish to cross without issue. There, they waited until the rest of their forces coalesced. All told, the invading army consisted of only 250 Spanish soldiers. The rest consisted of 1,500 native forces, with the Canari contributing a large contingent, a large contingent of men. We are also told that several grandsons of Wanakapak were counted amongst the ranks of this invading force. Elsewhere, all other known bridges leading to Vilcabamba were garrisoned by the Spanish and their allies, while the main force went deeper into the territory. Now, the Inca were well aware that the Spanish were making inroads into the area but wanted to avoid a direct battle. They didn't have the weaponry or numbers for such a campaign, so they waited until the Spanish forces were traversing a steep passage in the jungle, next to an equally steep ravine. Then they attacked. The Spanish and their allies were surprised, and the Inca would feign a retreat, luring Canary forces away, only to turn and kill them. However, after over two hours of fighting, the Inca were forced back, and they dissipated into the foliage. The Spanish then entered the town of Vitcos without issue. It had clearly been abandoned on purpose, and the invading forces knew that this was no victory. Vitcos had been captured before, but the Inca state persisted afterwards. They had to go deeper if they were to achieve victory, and so, through marshes, narrow passes, and thick jungle, they marched, always wary of what lurked behind the trees beside them. They came upon the fortress of Juana Pacara on June 20th. The fortification was in a formidable position, built on a knife-edge ridge separating two valleys. 
The walls were over 180 meters long, with battlements and four towers with sling stones piled to be unleashed upon the Spanish. The paths leading to the site were narrow, flanked by a ravine and a jungle, and would have forced the invading army to march single file to approach it. Higher up were boulders, clearly positioned to be rolled down upon those approaching the fortress. Unfortunately for the Inca, there was dissension in the ranks, as Puma Inca, a captain, defected and revealed the secrets of the fortress to the Spanish. With knowledge that the Inca watch was lax and that the jungle would provide the cover they needed, the Spanish sent men through the foliage at night. They gained a higher position than the Inca forces and could now see into the fortress itself. The Inca retreated from their position near the boulders and into the fort. But they were demoralized now that the Spanish could fire their weapons into the fortress. And after a brief battle, Juana Pacara was taken. The Spanish learned that Tupac Amaru and Quispe Titu, Titu Kuzi Yupanqui's son, had left for Vilcabamba only the previous day, so the invaders quickly followed their trail until they came upon a second fortress. However, the garrison in this fort was even smaller than the last and was soon abandoned by the Inca. That was the last form of resistance the Inca offered before the Spanish entered Vilcabamba on Tuesday, June 24th, 1572. Pedro Sarmiento de Gamboa planted the royal standard in the main square of the town, but it was clear the city had been abandoned quickly. Buildings were smoldering after having been set alight the night before. Under the rubble were pots that were smashed as the residents packed up everything they could carry and disappeared into the surrounding jungle. It is clear to us today that the defensiveness of Vilcabamba was an illusion. Yes, the terrain was difficult, and perhaps under Manco Inca, there had been enough manpower to put up a valiant defense. But the years of isolation and disease had taken its toll. We aren't told about any infighting in Vilcabamba, but I wonder if the death of Titu Kuziupanqui and the killing of the missionary Diego Ortiz split those who had converted to Christianity and those who had stayed with the Wakas. Perhaps there was infighting as part of the aftermath of those events, which saw more residents killed, or even an exodus of those who had converted. But in addition to being undermanned, the fighting techniques of the Inca had not evolved with the times. Though they had raided the Capacnan over the years, they had few actual firearms in working order. Slings and maces were still the weapons of choice for those defending Vilcabamba. Inca traps such as boulders had been seen previously and had become easy to detect. Plus, it certainly didn't help that people such as Puma Inca betrayed them. Unfortunately, Toledo had been right about Vilcabamba all along, 
It was a paper tiger. However, though the Spanish now controlled all important towns and bridges in and out of Vilcabamba, they still didn't have Tupac Amaru in their grasp. Like his father decades ago, the Inca had melted into the jungle. If the Spanish didn't find him, then Tupac Amaru could easily return and be an issue for years to come. Thus the Spanish and their allies searched high and low for any and all residents of Vilcabamba. Quispe Titu Yupanqui was captured not long after June 24th, while the mummies of both Manco Inca and Tito Kuzi Yupanqui were also uncovered. Yet, Tupac Amaru still eluded the Spanish. Martin Garcia de Loyola intended to change that, as he and a contingent of men under him set out to find the Inca. For days, Loyola and his men traveled deeper and deeper into the Amazon, through the jungle and down rivers. Every now and then they would come across a group of people who confessed that the Spanish had only missed the Inca by a day. However, that time would soon shorten to a few hours, as Tupac Amaru was not traveling alone. With him was his pregnant wife. I can't imagine how difficult the journey was for her as she weaved her way through the Amazon and in and out of boats just to try to stay a few steps ahead of their pursuers. But it wasn't enough. Through the dimming light of the jungle, the Spanish could see smoke rising. As they got near, they saw the flames of a fire with Tupac Amaru and his wife huddled close to it trying to keep warm. For his part, Loyola and a few of his men approached the couple cautiously. Knowing that this was the end of the line for him and his wife, Tupac asked about his nephew, Kispe Titu Yupanqui. Loyola informed the Inca that his nephew had been captured, but was safe and unharmed. And so it was by a fire deep in the Amazon rainforest that Tupac Amaru surrendered to the Spanish. 1,500 prisoners were taken from Vilcabamba and were divided amongst several encomiendas, where they had to work for their Spanish overlords and were forced to convert to Christianity. As for Tupac Amaru and Quispe Titu Yupanqui, they were paraded into Cusco on September 21st, 1572, on gold and silver leashes. Watching the spectacle from a balcony stood the viceroy. Tupac was held in the Colcampata, which had been confiscated from Paolo's son, Don Carlos. There, Tupac Amaru was taught Christianity as a sham trial went on in the city below. Toledo worked to pin the blame of Anaya and Ortiz's death upon Tupac. However, it was successfully argued that it was the Inca's captains who had executed the two men, not Tupac himself. In the case of Anaya, Tupac Amaru had no idea that the ambassador was even present. As for Diego Ortiz, 
The Inca refused to see the missionary, but there was no evidence that he ordered Ortiz to be killed. Toledo wanted blood, though. He had Tupac's captains tortured before ordering them to hang. Three of them died while being tortured, but their lifeless bodies were strung up regardless. Quispe Titu was exiled to Lima, though he was the nephew of Tupac Amaru and son of Tito Cusi Yupanqui. Toledo was not looking to continue the Inca line of succession in the area and wanted the young man as far away from Cusco as possible. Now, it may have very well been that Tupac Amaru underwent his conversion to Christianity to improve his standing with the judge and the viceroy. Perhaps, if he converted, he too would be exiled and live out the rest of his days on an estate in peace. But the judge was a good friend of Toledo's, and as I said, Toledo wanted blood. People were shocked when Tupac Amaru was sentenced to death. Native, mestizo, Spanish, everyone. As I've said, sympathy for the Inca ran high for many in Peru, and many believed the verdict was unjust. Several clergymen appealed to the viceroy to spare the Inca, insisting that he should be sent to Spain to stand judgment before the king. But Toledo refused. On September 24, 1572, Tupac Amaru was marched down the hill from the Calcampata to the Huacapata. The streets were packed, and we are told from an eyewitness that there was hardly enough room to move as the guards pushed their way through to the scaffolding in the sacred plaza. The whole crowd of natives raised such a cry of grief that it seemed as if the day of judgment had come, and all those of Spanish race did not fail to show their feelings by shedding tears of grief and pain. As he stood on the scaffolding, Tupac Amaru raised his hands, silencing the crowd. According to Hemming, the Inca made a denunciation of the Inca religion, much to the delight of the viceroy. However, no such statement is said to have been made within our eyewitness account. Instead, we are told that the Inca spoke as one who was not about to die. From the eyewitness account of Captain Balatazar de Ocampo, the executioner, who was Canari, then came forward, and, taking the hair in his left hand, he severed the head with a knife at one blow, and held it on high for all to see. As the head was severed, the bells of the cathedral began to ring, and were followed by those of all the monasteries and parish churches in the city. The execution caused the greatest sorrow and brought tears to all eyes. The body of Tupac Amaru was sent to a relative's house, but was given a burial the next day. As for his head, Toledo ordered it placed on a spike for all to see. Much to his chagrin, crowds gathered around not to gawk, but to mourn, 
and so it was taken down, but a few days later. Tupac Amaru was Sapa Inca for an incredibly short period of time. His fate was sealed by those under him, his captains, who made an egregious error in killing an ambassador, which allowed Toledo to come down upon the Inca. Ultimately, the Inca died where his ancestors held so many ceremonies, the Wakapata. The next episode will be our last, as we wrap up some loose ends and try to make sense of everything. <laughs>